people who know me, the font size on my iPhone is so big. <laughs> because I am a grandma and I'm not ashamed. I was at home this weekend and like my dad's font size is like the same size as mine. And he goes, okay, that's weird. I'm old. You have no excuse. And I was like, well, thank you. Um, so she is currently also in the, well, it's weird. Okay. You're going to have to, yeah, yeah, you're going to have to, yeah, you're going to have to explain it because I remember it's like super complex. Yeah. So introduce yourself. So I am Corey Lancaster. I am a writer and a software developer. Um, I met, uh, Natalia through our, uh, working on the podcast at GW. So I was pursuing my master's degree. I was concentrating in uh, finance and budgetary analysis because that was a specific skill set to the firm that I was at at the time. Mm-hmm. And then I made some reevaluations about where I wanted to go in my career and who I wanted to be. And I realized that that was not the right track for me. So I switched to doing um, computer science and coding and software engineering, which brought me on a separate track. (laughs) And so I was like still at GW, but no longer in that, in that program. And then just completely in the process of changing my entire career. Well, because you know, that's fun. Who likes to do the same thing all the time? Right. Because what is life? Right. So yeah, that, because I remember, so the reason we brought you on for that, because we were talking about like technology policy. Yeah. And we were talking about that. And I was like, this girl knows so much more than I could ever know about technology. I think we were talking, that show was so fun because we were really just talking about the gaps between technology and government. Yeah. And that was so important to me because for me, as someone who needed to make a decision about what I was doing mm-hmm. with my education and my career and realizing like who I wanted to be. Just as a person, right? Because your career is 50, 60 years. Oh, yeah. That's a long time. Um, I had to ask myself those questions. And so, like, that show was just, like, that show was so awesome. But because right now we are in a time where it's, the world is asking the question, what is the intersection of technology and government? And then what does that look like professionally? And then what does that look like in the academic space? And I think it's, for, for me, I kind of, like, clearly technology and me are not the best of friends as yeah. a good see me trying to set up the recording uh, about a minute ago but I think it's but I think I always I always knew about the certain things of technology and like the internet and and I just kind of accepted them as fact I get annoyed with it but I accepted it as fact like during all of the Facebook trials and all of that going on and it's just like the the people interviewing Marcia were like so baffled that he didn't like that they could track what they were doing on Facebook and they were selling their information. And I don't know about you, but I kind of was like, of course she's selling her information. <laughs> we go on Amazon. And then two seconds later, the dress I was looking at is popping up on my Facebook. Right. <laughs> like uninvited. Yeah. Mine. So 
I was introduced to technology after I graduated undergrad. I got recruited mm-hmm. to work in the external affairs office of a tech firm. Mm-hmm. So I was really introduced to the policy, the administrative and regulatory policy side of technology, internet, and the telecommunications world. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I knew that I liked outlining the rules and regulations for which these technologies could or could not exist, which goes to Mm -hmm. say, can they collect your data? How do I disclose that I am collecting your data? How do I disclose in a way that a person understands that their Mm -hmm. data is being collected? Right. Um, So I I enjoy that on the policy side, but then I just realized that as a policy analyst, for me, you're coming to the the game so late Mm -hmm. that you just hope that engineers are taking this privacy by design approach mm-hmm. as they're building this technology. To me, the way the world was moving in the technological space was just so reactive that it was really important for me to actually learn how to script, not just do like back-end statistical analysis, like mm-hmm. what we learn as policy analysts, mm-hmm. so SBSS and ARM and Python. Which, learn is irrelevant <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to SBSS. We, we, so we learned about it from that standpoint, yeah. and I wanted to take that knowledge that I had had, like, since, you know, undergrad mm-hmm. and really transform it into how to build an application front to back. Mm-hmm. And then after I learned how to do that, I realized that the ability to be a policy analyst is great, but having the ability to be a full-stack developer and actually control algorithmically the mm-hmm. technology that you're putting into the world was something incredibly powerful. Um, and I just like, just breaking up the conversation you were having before you introduced <laughs> me, it's so crazy because I didn't grow up with um, any type of focus on computer science. That, that wasn't something that was big mm-hmm. in like my high school or my middle school. And I was always really smart and I always did really well. And I grew up like in an affluent family. So that wasn't an issue it was just we genuinely didn't talk about it like no mm-hmm. one knew and then I was good at um biology and so initially in school I was pre-med and a biology major and I switched over because I was like I went to a school that was really great for for yeah. bio and pre-med mm-hmm. but I realized that like that wasn't my passion mm-hmm. and so I just had to, like a come to Jesus moment with self and was like no girl we gotta change our major so, yep. I, did, so I did that but um, ain't that the truth <laughs> right yeah. so yeah so no, I, I guess I'm just bringing that up to say that for me, like I said, I just turned 26. I feel like I'm just completely starting. I feel like I'm, like, on a professional level, I feel like I'm just starting my life, right? Because I just am just now getting to a place where I have the skill set mm-hmm. to actually do what I want to do and involve myself in the organizations and and programs that I want to be a part of. So I'm like grateful for all of my experience to date mm-hmm. and, you know, where I've worked and where I'm interned and my mentors and, you know, who I've met. But they were kind of like, I guess if you look at, like they were, they were not like lateral stepping stones mm-hmm. on where I was going. They were kind of. You were like, oh, I thought this is what I wanted, but it's not really what I wanted. Yeah, and then now, mm-hmm. so I feel like now I'm, like, just getting to that place where I can clearly define, mm-hmm. like, this is who I am, this is what I want to do, what I'm actually passionate about, and this is the um, career ladder that matches, like, my personal, mm-hmm. professional mission, if that makes sense. <laughs> no, it's true, because I feel like so often you get stuck 
in what you think you're supposed to do and like did you take the right path and oh no I can't because now it's too late for me to change I'm too old so it's I mean I think that's really interesting for you to say that like you feel like now at 26 you're starting yeah whereas like I guess people would have thought you started that at like 21 when she graduated and like got a job and everything or like 18 when you like pick your major which the fact that we put children (laughs) Yeah, I, I think that's schools, crazy. It's a scam. Like, I feel like it's truly a scam because we're told that, like, because se- I started college when I was 17. Mm-hmm. I had a couple more weeks ago before I turned 18. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, a lot of kids have to get crazy amount of loans yeah. that they don't know anything about. And then they're told to kind of figure pick, it out. Yeah, like, pick this school that you're going to go to for four years yeah. or three or whatever it is. And then, like, by the second year, figure out your major. And then, like, you get that degree and then, like, go find a job. Yeah, my my experience was um, I started out doing pre-med and bio, not because I, like, had any innate desire to mm-hmm. be this doctor. It was kind of like I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I was good at biology. I knew that I was at the best school for medicine mm-hmm. in the country. So why not take advantage of this wealth of mm-hmm. information and resources and like pursue that path and I wasn't happy um but I had really built you know in your freshman year that's really when you meet your friends yeah. that's kind of like when you get established in your organizations and your work study jobs all that stuff right so for me I had kind of like learned what it means to have an identity <laughs> in something that rooted in something mm-hmm. that you hate and then kind of dismantle that and um, when I switched over to public policy and I was particularly interested in like economics and ethics and mm-hmm. um, there were a couple of like philosophy classes that were intertwined in just the uh, p- public policy curriculum, I knew that I had like found what I wanted to mm-hmm. study at the time, but because I had wasted two years doing something that I didn't want to do that had absolutely mm-hmm. no transferable um, like credit, I was just like, okay, well, what class fits with this schedule? Like, what, like, okay, I need, like, these credits to graduate. So what what fits here? Mm-hmm. And so I, when I left, like, part of the reason I pursued my master's degree, and I, I did and do still have law school aspirations, but part of the reason a graduate degree was really important to me because I felt like it was an opportunity to actually focus mm-hmm. and take my time learning something that I actually wanted to learn. So it was kind of shocking, quote unquote, or like challenging (laughs) when I was like in the thick of that process somewhat and realizing that, hey, I actually think that this is great. Like this is, this, this was awesome. This, yeah, this Mm -hmm. was, this was cute. This was great. But like maybe there's something else. Mm -hmm. And then um, when I found that, and like, I guess just like, like we're talking about, um, like, you want to know what your identity is in the yeah. workplace. And some people chase titles, right? Mm-hmm. Some people chase salaries. And that's all fine if that's who you yeah. are. But for me, I knew that I was never that person. And so I think that, like, part of the reason I say I'm just starting at 26 is because I now can give you, like, my elevator pitch for, like, what I'm trying to accomplish, right? Dude, um, and then, then teach me because... <laughs> about how civil rights abuses manifest in the tech space right that's oh that's good but that's it I mean that's that's it right Mm -hmm. and then it's like what and then so the next piece was well what's the skill set to help me understand 
mm-hmm. how civil rights abuses manifest in a text base. So I needed to know how to code, right? Mm-hmm. So then it was, well, what? Okay, you know how to code, so you algorithmically you understand. So now what do we do with that? Okay, well, we introduce civil rights problems to the vehicle of code. And if mm-hmm. you have coders like me who are actually passionate about not putting um, you know, biased or disruptive technology out or negatively disruptive technology mm-hmm. out there in those spaces, then that's a whole lot better than a corporation who's just like, hey, listen, we got two weeks, y'all gave me too little money. <laughs> just dump this <laughs> dump mm-hmm. this in your in your community and we're gonna collect your data and sell it because that's actually how we make money. So it's not that cut and dry, but the point but is yeah, that it's like it's that like if I'm gonna give it to you in a short, cute, succinct way, that's basically what it is. Because I remember previously we talked about. Um, I remember previously <laughs> we talked about um, like the iPhone and the Facebook, the Facebook, the face recognition um, stuff, and how that can be inherently biased, right? Because depending on who what faces you have testing this product it's gonna automatically mold that and we do have different features based on where you come from your family your familial background and and so that's such an interesting space because I don't think that I mean I didn't know until you told me like I would never have thought about that being a yeah it's actually it's like a I think this is important because just to go back to our education conversation it's such a pioneer space because when I was able to articulate, you know, we'll call it my professional elevator <laughs> pitch, when I was able to articulate that and then actually kind of say, these are the skills the skills that I wanted, only then was I able to actually identify what universities and yeah. what degrees are, I actually need and what curriculums I need mm-hmm. to study and, like, who, what books I should be reading and what I should be learning. And I think what's so challenging about, like, honestly like dumping a kid into the system Mm -hmm. and saying figure it out is that when you are having to figure it out as you go and you have money and student loans and all that stuff Mm -hmm. behind that it can take a long time before someone like essentially you're telling this is a process that to me is better suited if you work backwards so it's Mm -hmm. like what's your elevator pitch who do you want to be what skills do you need to accomplish mm-hmm. that and once you identify that okay then we match the you to the right school and to the right program and to mm-hmm. the right curriculum and to the right mentors but instead it's now we're kind of like okay go to, like who do you like it's like oh if you like public <coughs> policy okay yeah. dump, or if you like medicine or you like law or whatever then you dump yourself at this school and it doesn't really allow for transitions yeah. that seem like completely separate but to me to me like to me computer science and software engineering is absolutely connected to public policy to me philosophy oh, yeah. is absolutely connected to politics but understand that until we had something like this rushing hacking or until we had these mm-hmm. facebook scandals right that we're in such a pioneer space that only now institutions are even putting forth curriculums that match Something mm-hmm. like cybersecurity or ethical hack, ethical hacking, right? So these mm-hmm. are this is such a new new field that for those of us that are young and trying to figure it out, we're figuring out. You know, we're we're just all in here, honesty. Yeah, <laughs> all in there. yeah, yeah. No, but it's it's true because at I, least that's my at least that's my experience. No, I I completely agree because I think about when I was applying to colleges and stuff. Like I wanted to go to a good school. And I did end up going to a good school, but yeah, 
I was like, okay, I want to go to a good school. Originally, I thought I wanted to study international development. And I was like, that's that's where I want to be. Da, da, da. And so when I went to undergrad, I started off doing that. And then I realized I was like, that is not what I want. Like it was so uh, the title of that was international development and social change. And like, this is not to bad mouth, like because I have awesome people that I know that got that degree and mm-hmm. they're killing it. But for me, when I was when I was in those rooms and I was like learning, I was like, this sounds very whitey, like well, white. Yes. <laughs> sounds very white. Like there's no other way to kind of put it in very yeah. like, like whiny and just like the white man comes in and there's like capitalism ruined everything. And it's like, it, it still had this kind of tone of like, we came in and ruined everything. We have to go in and fix everything. It's like, why didn't you stop and ask for a second? <laughs> like, and there was very few, and not saying like all the professors, but there was just like this very like low kind of idea of like the world and what it does mean yeah. to build and what it does mean to actually like provide aid and help. And, um, and I was, and I went through a couple of different things of like, Oh, what am I going to do? And, I realized like history. So history for me was that was that thing that I was like, okay, development and history definitely intersect. And for me, that made sense. So I switched my major to history. I studied Holocaust and genocide studies because I was really interested in how do we get to those spaces of like utter destruction and and refugees. And I focused on that. And then that I fully believe is what helped me get into GW for grad school and and public policy because I was like, oh, do I want to get my law degree? And I was like, I looked at my bank account, <laughs> and my bank account was like, bye. <laughs> um, I mean, my bank account still like bye with discrepancies, but but looking at like coming here and realizing like I can, I realize like policy analysis, and that, and I realized like that's what I wanted. I wanted to change the policies and the attitudes. I wanted to merge things. I wanted to see is what we're doing really helping. I wanted to go in and ask. I wanted to collect data and be like, okay, is this what we need to do? I wanted to do that knowledge management, which is so much of policy analysis. And I also realized it wasn't necessarily like development, but this niche part of like stabilization and peace building. Mm. And so. I feel like it took me so long to get to that because I had still articulated as like international development kind of thing. And it took me so long to articulate. And after taking a class, like, like, okay, no, you really like peace building. You really like, like being on the ground and being like, how do we provide governance and like DDR? Like, how do we do all of that? And so, which you can do within policy analysis, but it's like, you because you have that analytical background versus that just like going and save background yeah <laughs> um which which is why I love getting this degree because a lot of people are like oh why don't you do it I was like no you don't understand there's this niche thing that we can do now and um I don't know I fa- I have found that really enlightening especially like with my program we're able to create those very niche topics and that's just a long-winded way to say yeah. like I totally understand no, you know coming to your own um and I'll take it a step further too because when I had my realization you know about like my elevator pitch I then had to say too well what's my timeline like do mm-hmm. I want to solve problems in 10 20 years or do I want to provide immediate impact or you know what what does 
solving these problems look mm-hmm. like to me what did it's like what does peace building mm-hmm. look like to you like in if you have you know nine to five if you have 40 hours a week to contribute to this what does success look like on a weekly basis or a monthly basis so like I had to ask myself those questions and you know that's like I understand what you're saying I know you understand what I'm saying but then when you get to this when you get to this mm-hmm. place of just like hey I'm actually ready like I'm ready yeah. to like dive into like the thick of like my career like to be no but it's it's true because like what does success look like and I think that's a lot also what I'm trying to talk about on this podcast because like what is success what does success look like for you mm-hmm. you know because for me I I think I've always understood that like these problems are gonna take a long time and then what I think what I'm starting to just come into is what are the little ways in which I can push back on those problems now because I I think we constantly tell ourselves and I think society tells us that you can't do it until you have the job or like that mm. degree. Like we constantly have to be waiting. I want to push back on that. So I, so I will. I want to add more mm-hmm. layers to that because for me, when I was working um, at the firm that I was working at, not only were these ideas and these solutions kind of getting caught up in the title and mm-hmm. you know the 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 actual process, it then becomes okay, well, if someone believes that they should be promoted and they're not promoted, then mm-hmm. what energy are they giving to the problem that they're – what energy are they not giving to the problem that they would otherwise be giving mm-hmm. if they actually were happy at this firm, right? Like what energy are people bringing to these real-world problems if they aren't being properly mentored and supported? Mm-hmm. So then I learned too, like – when you have not every organization is a good organization not every manager is a good manager so when you have kind of these really complex issues that are quote-unquote not able to be addressed until you are that like five-year attorney yeah what someone that's 21 or 22 can just feel utterly useless and and that's not that's not true that's not true at all and I think that um for me specifically something that I loved about technology I there was a point in time in Silicon Valley where no CEO was over the age of 35 contrary to the culture of government and politics you can't even become president until you turn 35 you can't run for office until you're like 25 for like to be like a legend in the yeah so so you have that yeah um so well Mark Zuckerberg is 33 he's still that young yeah that's true that's fair 33 33 or 34, but I'm just bringing that up to say that when we talk about genuine people who, like, have, you know, authentic intentions to contribute to advancing these issues and Mm -hmm. they're held up by, one, the timeline of the process and then also just the human complexities of what it means to work in systems that place value on Mm -hmm. different, different things, that those it, it, I, I completely see how people are like tainted and jaded. <laughs> yeah, because, <laughs> like, I think it's interesting because like in this, how old we are now and like the space that we live in now, I feel like people are more comfortable taking things onto themselves because we have a lot more accessibility to do so. Like in the sense of you can be like verified on Twitter mm-hmm. just because you have like a lot of followers. Right. You know what I mean? Not and then that gives you an accreditation yeah so that gives you more social accreditation than mm-hmm. someone who has three or four degrees in yeah. like the in the public space mm-hmm. right so I think 
Like that's incredibly important about the time that we're living in right now because it also says something too about how we value currency, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, what does so if if I'm an influencer, um, and let's say you know maybe in normal capitalism it's like <laughs> or with like Kylie Jenner it's mm-hmm. makeup, but like if that person was a politician, like if Kylie Jenner said, "Hey, everyone, vote for Donald Trump." Yeah, we need to. We're in a space now where we have to acknowledge that this person who's 20 years old, who has no college degree, literally is just would be able to have her 100 and something million mm-hmm. followers mm-hmm. rally behind what we know is a toxic person mm-hmm. in a toxic political system. No, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that to say that as young people who are just figuring it out, when we're learning from older structures that tell you, okay, you can't be X mm-hmm. until you achieve Y, Z, element of P. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> you have to have the courage to push back and say, that's actually not true. Look at our world. And right? it's not just, I don't even think it's necessarily like just about money because I, I do this podcast on the cheap. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Setting up that Patreon is going to eventually get in there. But like, but all but the thing of like, this was my little way of pushing back because I knew that I wanted women's voices. I knew that we weren't being heard. I knew that like there were issues that we need to talk about regardless of race, religion, political party. Like these were, there are common things that like women need to talk about and and to hear our voices, because even if it's not like I'm talking about Natalia, or if it's like I, Corey, I'm not talking about Corey, this is like a woman's perspective mm-hmm. that we don't hear. And I would hope, I think I more so want a bunch of listeners more in the sense to hear this, not necessarily like for my own gratification, but because like people need to hear this. Yeah. Does I that think, make sense? Absolutely. And I would go as far as to say that, you know, we're young. So mm-hmm. for us to believe that anything that we're coming up with is especially profound yeah. is a bit entitled. But what is true is that we're going to have audiences and we're going to have reach in spaces where the people who have previously spoken mm-hmm. that profundity won't. So I think it's important to kind of clarify that in addition to all of what, what you've said, it's also about if you have the audience of listeners where what where our message mm-hmm. would be like greater received, <laughs> yes. then it doesn't matter who came before and said the same thing if, if that person yeah. is not. The information is out there. You just have to go go to mm-hmm. where the different audiences are. No, it's I think that's true because it's I think that's how we get I don't know. I think that's how we get like our message out there and you can I mean it's a good and a bad the fact that you can pick and choose. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's bad because then you're not getting a holistic view of everything that's going on. That's why I love BBC. <laughs> because I truly believe that they are like the arc of everything. <laughs> but um, but I but I think that like because you can pick and choose, you can kind of hear what you want to hear, and then you're not getting good information. And I think you should, and that's like, I mean, that's why it's really important to me to talk to a lot of different types of women mm-hmm. because it's like, I don't want to just give you one person. Yeah. And it's, it's hard because like a lot of people that you know, and I bet that goes with like, ugh, we have to like network and like talk to other people <laughs> and like, ugh, go to these damn happy hours that right. no one ever wants to go to. But like, but it's true because I want to make sure that you're not just getting one voice. No, I agree. And I would also, I would add to that more than anything it's important to 
step out of your comfort zone, right? Mm -hmm. And when you're not getting more than one voice, it's not just, oh, let's get people in different industries or across different Mm -hmm. age brackets. It's like, no, let's get people who are presenting ideas that I don't necessarily agree with, right? And talking about that or getting people who, um, you know, do maybe exist in uh, some some lower lower spaces, right? Yeah. So, um, no, I... I, I agree with you. <laughs> I always agreed with you. I'm just, I'm just adding on. Just, so what were spaces, because we had, like, talked previously, and mm-hmm. we want to talk about, like, black women and, and what our space is. Yeah. What was or is a space that you feel like you don't get your voice heard, especially, like, being a woman in tech, because being a woman in tech. Wow, okay, so I would say that my biggest thing, and I don't know if this has anything to do with me being a black woman or a woman, period, but I mm-hmm. I can speculate. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the life of me, I don't know why it's been a lot easier for me to get contracts and gig work as mm-hmm. opposed to getting a full-time job. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and so... Um, I've been, I haven't been, I mean, well, I feel like I've been job hunting a long time. I would say mm-hmm. like two and a half months-ish. And there's this this culture in the tech industry, which I didn't know about, mm-hmm. of ghosting. So mm-hmm. you can interview with a firm, and it's usually between five and seven rounds. So you can go to... Oh, what they need you for seven right, rounds Right, no, it's, it's intense. So it's like oh, you can go through three, four, five rounds and then just not hear from the company. And so I was talking to some of my mentors. And again, I don't know if this has anything to do with me being a black woman or a woman, but I know that this is a challenge that I'm not really seeing my like guy, my black male developer friend's face. Mm-hmm. I'm not seeing my white male friend developer's face and I'm not even seeing my white female developer's face and I, but I'll say this too my industry is a lot more slim in that I work mm-hmm. in social impact technology so mm-hmm. there's a lot of factors there that sometimes that's a startup space so they don't always have like they may be hiring for positions per se but the funding for that position hasn't false. actually yeah. come through either mm-hmm. hasn't come through or falls through mm-hmm. or right so there's a lot of factors that go into my specific space and also too I'm not someone who like I love the vehicle of coding if I was someone who's like hey I just want to be a coder that's it I would just like go teach or like go yeah code for a bank or go code for you know Mm -hmm. anything I would just go do anything but because I'm someone who's like specifically in this social impact political Mm -hmm. space specifically sitting as this liaison between policy and engineering it is a little bit more complex so I, I get that but you know again have noticed that I can land multiple gigs I can mm-hmm. back-to-back gigs back-to-back contracts mm-hmm. with no problem you know teaching positions no problem um substitute you know TA mm-hmm. positions no problem mm-hmm. but an actual engineering mm-hmm. position for a firm with benefits mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. has been um a bit difficult for me so or it's just it just hasn't come as quickly, I would say. So that's the first thing that I can think about. Um, and also, also too, like code is an an isolated field. Mm-hmm. So um, it is there are it is true about the rumors of some people just having no emotional intelligence. <laughs> um, and because that's not how I was formally trained, I'm mm-hmm. not that person. So I think that that makes me makes me unique. But um, that because that is the 
profile of people who yeah. are in charge of hiring, I can also see kind of how that falls, um, how that contributes to the job hunting process. Um, I would also say job hunting, job hiring. I'd also say too, so when I was a policy analyst, um, I remember I had a conversation with a mentor and I know that it was really playful, but it really just showed me that it's not, it's never going to be twice as good to get half as much. It, like, mm-hmm. it, it will never just stop mm-hmm. there. And so we were just talking and I was saying that um, there was someone who had gotten hired that when you looked at our credentials, um, I was the best. On paper, mm-hmm. I was um, a better candidate. candidate. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about for the big, like if you had, if you had like put an internship on the table and it was like mm-hmm. this resume and this resume, like, I was the one who had gone to the better school. I actually majored in public policy. I was published, right? Mm-hmm. Those those different different things. And so um, to know that that person had actually got there in with the company by dating the former boss's daughter, I, um, when I heard that, I just, it, it Sips left. Sips tea in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not, but I'm, I'm not saying that to, like, I don't want to. Like it, it's what you do when you get the opportunity to get in the door. Yeah. Right. So, but it just let me know that sometimes for us, our foot in the door is not what they, we're, our foot in the door is supposed to be our credentials and our education and, you know, um, our merit. And we're supposed to be allowed to fail and succeed and, and, yeah. and flounder. And I don't think that we're really given those opportunities to fail. Um, I think that for whatever reason, I know that I was at um, a firm where I would ask for feedback. I was mm-hmm. actually, I was probably actually neurotic mm-hmm. about my feedback because mm-hmm. when you understand that, like when you're in college, you have benchmarks of success. You can yeah. never talk to your professor, but you'll know how you're doing based on your grades. You're mm-hmm. engaging with your classmates, right? Like you have these benchmarks of success, but then you move to a corporate space. You don't have these benchmarks of success anymore you don't have I mean and also too relevant to policy policy is a field where you can work diligently for um, months and months and months and there's no end product yep right like um, you can literally submit a memo and then nothing comes of it yeah right or and that and it, it can also be a space where you can do all this work and then just the field changes mm-hmm. like if you take what's gone on with the Russian hacking mm-hmm. that's been They've been researching that, and that there's been so much research happening in that space since like 2016, before mm-hmm. the election. Oh yeah. So I mean, but to understand that if you were working, so let's just say, so let's say two years, right? Mm-hmm. Most people, it takes about six, between six months and a year to get acclimated at a job. Um, then you have you know, add in like the vacations that you take and then add Mm -hmm. in kind of like the benchmarks of success. Like, Hey, how am I doing my performance reviews Mm -hmm. and these things like that? All of that takes away from what could be like the tangible deliverable solution to the, to the problem I would say. And so for me, when I asked for feedback, I was actually very neurotic about it because I just didn't understand Mm -hmm. that world. And I, I absolutely know that it worked against me and I, and something that worked against me too, like in one of my earlier firms was that I wanted to be like, you know, they say twice as good to get half as much. And what does that look like? That looks like being really smart, but that also looks like being available. Yep. That means like, Oh, you need copies. Okay, cool. You need, (laughs) yeah, you need someone to write this for you and Mm -hmm. do this for you too. So I was that person. And what I didn't realize is that I could write incredible white papers and incredible memos, but I wouldn't 
get my name on them mm-hmm. ever. Um, I if but you're, you're not bitter anymore. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not bitter. I'm just I'm just saying that like you don't you never know yeah. how you you don't always know if you like let's take a if a, if there's a po- in policy in particular mm-hmm. let's say there's an issue that's just experiencing a lay period just given mm-hmm. the political agenda if you push yourself as the person who will answer phones and the mm-hmm. person who will get coffee and make copies i i can see how as a woman and specifically as a black woman you're you can transition to be seen as more of a receptionist or intern type type Mm -hmm. person and so I guess I'm just bringing all that up to say that as women and as black women in particular the things that we don't know we don't always get the chance to recover Mm -hmm. recover from and so um, I remember one of my mentors like I had come back from getting coffee and she was like you know the first time anyone at my firm had asked me to get coffee I gave them this look and then when I came back and handed it to them, I gave them another look just so that they knew that the next time they asked me to do that, if I did it, I'd throw it on them. And I yeah. just was like, and I just, I just was like, whoa, no one ever talked. Like, what's this look? I didn't learn the look. Like- Guys, tip and trick. Learn the look. Tip and trick number one, learn the look. I know, too. Tip and trick number one, learn your professional elevator pitch. Yep. <laughs> tip and trick number two, learn the look. Learn the look. Because it's. It's so true, and I am just, like, not that I've been out in this world <laughs> for many moons, but, yeah. like, I'm just getting to the point where I'm, like, setting my boundaries mm-hmm. and demanding what I believe I deserve for my boundaries because because you're right. Because if you, you think to yourself, okay, if they see that, like, I'm so willing to work, I'm so willing to do this, then they'll have to keep me. And that's kind of, like, the idea, but then you realize you get you keep getting put into these roles that aren't actually what you intended to do yeah and so I like I had to be like this is what I'm doing this is my time I will be here during this time that's my time yeah it's also very easy to develop like a sense of loyalty to the cause and the company Mm -hmm. and then like grow with the needs of the company but like away from your elevator pitch which Mm -hmm. is like why I was like no temperature number one (laughs) and so because I know that um for myself, you know, I I real you know, I realized that I was a person who was working in policy who when I got that job I did not have a graduate degree. Mm-hmm. I was working with a bunch of lawyers. I was not in law school mm-hmm. and I knew that, that that experience for me would be delayed. Yeah. So I didn't come with some of the accolades that they respect enough to groom a person right and so for me when I was kind of finding my niche in that firm I was mutable in the way of like hey no I really want to do a good job because you know Mm -hmm. I I want I'm this overachiever and I'm used to doing well so I really want to do a good job but it's very easy to get caught up in that and not understand hey I'm not happy I'm not being supported and then when you are kind of called upon to take a leap of faith and change jobs or leave a job which is what mm-hmm. I did I actually left um, mm-hmm. left a job with nothing lined up I was just young you know young Sometimes and young and jumped yeah. young and jumped and um, when you're when you're called upon to do that for me um, I was so excited because more than anything, I was forcing myself to realize what would I do if I had like if no one was telling me what to do. Like mm-hmm. if I when I wake up in the morning, 
Like, you know, when you're exhausted, you're going to just watch Netflix and sleep. When you haven't seen your friends in a while, you're going to go party and you're going to go be accountable to your friends. Mm -hmm. But when you're well rested, when you're good with all of your friends, Mm -hmm. all of your personal stuff is good. And then you look up and you're like, wake up in the morning. It's like, well, no, I have all this time. What am I, what do I want to do? You know, do I want to learn? What do I want to learn? What am I excited about? What do I want to do with this information? And I had like to give myself a moment to do that and then to make the decision to change what I was doing Mm -hmm. um, academically. That was so important to me because now I realize how I need to grow for Corey and I could you and on the flip side of that you could love your job like Mm -hmm. you could have the like for you you could be so happy you could love your team you could be completely supported but if it's moving you away from your professional elevator pitch Mm -hmm. you also have to have the courage to walk away from a really kind of satisfying Mm-hmm. position in the moment because it isn't ultimately in line with what you want with do. what you want to do right so um I feel like the ability to take that time though I want to I want to like recognize that like we come from a place of privilege and being able to do that because I was eight like so I was working yeah. two two jobs plus an internship by second semester mm-hmm. and while I had cut down hours I reached a point where I was like I need to I quit one I was at one and my internship, and um, finances got a little tighter, but I had faith. I was like, Lord, you better keep me. <laughs> um, and, you know, took out a little bit. Maybe I was going to take out a little bit more loans, but, and while I, not that I came from a super wealthy family, because I didn't, mm-hmm. well, you know, mom's a teacher. Mm-hmm. That just tells you, you know. But I still come from a place of privilege and where I was able to do that, to give myself more time and freedom to to look on things where it upsets me and it hurts me that my other sisters out there, regardless of um, race, ethnicity, background, religion, don't have that same opportunity because of where they are. And so it, it makes me angry that in our positions that we aren't being groomed, although groomed sounds creepy, but like being um, mentored mm-hmm. effectively in a way to like, let me help you prepare for what yeah. you want to do because so often like women get stuck. Absolutely. Like, oh my goodness, you're preaching to the choir because what I didn't realize when I first, when I first learned coding, like I said, it was a skill set that I wanted to add to my repertoire because I wanted to be a better analyst and you know, mm-hmm. I wanted to be a better problem solver right um but what I then learned about the coding industry is that it comes with the possibility of true freedom and I'm Mm -hmm. talking about freedom that you just do not learn about in a capitalistic society Mm -hmm. right so um depending on I'll give an example so there are people you could do one gig or one contract in a couple of weeks to a month and let's say you make thirty thousand dollars off of that Mm -hmm. in one lump sum well, for the year, you may not like let you a person can budget accordingly and live a really cool life with a lump sum of thirty thousand mm-hmm. dollars for a year. I've seen that happen, and even though if you like look at it from a tax perspective, it's like, oh my god, you only made thirty thousand dollars that mm-hmm. that year. But but then you look at it, you're like, well, no, they worked for three weeks, mm-hmm. <laughs> or like let's say they they clocked sixty hours. They got this huge lump sum, and then they have the freedom for the entire year to do whatever they wanted. And that's so interesting because that actually goes against some of the models, economic models that mm-hmm. were taught, which say, oh, would a person value like a steady paycheck or would they value lump sums? Like our models tell us that they value the paycheck, and that's mm-hmm. capitalism. But mm-hmm. in reality, or I've, 
I have seen people who also value mm-hmm. lump sums and to not teach people how to survive when they make that choice and then mm-hmm. not teach people what what kind of freedom comes with only needing to work, you know, a couple of weeks a year. Mm-hmm. That's like, that. I mean, that's, I think that that's very, very limiting. And then also too, right, kind of what I was saying before, computer science was not, I, it just wasn't, I, like, I cannot even remember a computer science course in high school. I definitely took one in undergrad, but it was like building video games, which I had mm-hmm. no interest in. So I didn't, yeah, I didn't care. And then it, so it wasn't until 24, right, that I'm like even understanding what having the power of Corey to be a developer, a certified software engineer, like mm-hmm. what even comes with that, right? And, um, you know, I'm bringing that up. We're talking about like freedom and like have like mentoring younger girls to, mm-hmm. to know what's out there. Sometimes the stepping stone is working the two the two jobs yeah. to get where you need to be. Or sometimes the stepping stone is taking something like code or like real estate mm-hmm. and kind of buckling down for a month or two to get yourself in a position to sell one piece of property and get mm-hmm. yourself a huge lump sum of money to figure out what you want to do and who you want to be or it's you know you can learn how to code for free on youtube i, I tell everybody that like <laughs> learn how to code on youtube, YouTube. you can learn how to code tip for- and trick number three yeah <laughs> learn youtube that. university is a whole a whole it there is a wealth of knowledge out there that it's almost like this it's like if you if the first thing you think to do is to pay somebody for it mm-hmm. you may be this may not be for you. This may not be for you because, like, there's so much information out there for free between YouTube University and your local mm-hmm. library. And so I just, like, for me, when I, like, I do teach um, young kids and girls specifically, and I am a TA and for a coding class. And who I gravitate to are the people who have decided to enter this or are fascinated by it because, you know, they're, you are a complex person. As a person, mm-hmm. there's a hundred percent of you and so while part of you may be a peace builder another part of you is a communicator Mm -hmm. another part of you could be an artist and if there was like a small piece of you that could be fed through a vehicle of you know entrepreneurship or coding that would give you the freedom to be a better peace builder Mm -hmm. then that is to be celebrated as well and I think that in addition to just not knowing what's out there we also aren't like who's celebrated yeah like you it's like if like I I have a friend who is in the situation that I described with you know they coded an app and they made 30k Mm -hmm. and they live for the rest of the year um I think the wrong hustle is like, honestly what I'm hearing. <laughs> but like for that friend in particular, mm-hmm. like they had a they had a couple of moments with like within our friend group where they were kind of like embarrassed to say that they like weren't working because it's like oh you're un- quote unquote unemployed mm-hmm. and it's like actually they're fun employed right like they're not financially worried about anything like they're living life and able to do whatever they want and they can still do side projects it's not to say that your friend is just gonna stop yeah no but that's but that's the point the point is that you take like when you're talking about an ignorance just in the community and then you're talking about freedom and we're talking about how those two concepts intertwine for those of us who are young and don't know who we are yet Mm -hmm. and who we want to be yet and are making decisions purely out of finances that is a way to be trapped that's Mm -hmm. a that's a snowball effect of where debt comes into play and it's just like this constant system of entrapment but there really are other ways and to to my knowledge reason i said coding and real estate those are the ones that i found 
that legitimately do buy a mm-hmm. real person with real bills, mm-hmm. real time to figure it out, right? And um, I think that's important. And then you take the other side of it too. Not every we can't we we live in a system where people can't even afford maternity leave. Dude, it's real. Don't get me started on my feelings. I'm just saying that to say that, like, when that is what we're taught, Mm -hmm. and that's the world that we live in, I absolutely 100% get why my friend is, like, a bit nervous about being, like, and be, like, I'm not working right now, and I'm cool. I'm totally cool with it. (laughs) I feel like I I would weirdly praise that person because it's, like, but you're fine because you're fine. Like, you, you know what I mean? I'd be, like, you should look for a job if, like, bills weren't being paid. But if, it's like, like you but, know. But it's almost like, like, so if someone tells you they're unemployed, like, you start to worry about them. Mm-hmm. But if, like, sometimes you can't always cross that boundary to yeah. be, like, what are your finances like? Like, not every, yeah. like, we also don't live in a society where people are comfortable talking about the struggle like people like that's what like there is there is going to be a time in your life specifically in your 20s and probably later where just the way the world's going yeah yeah, like the wheel always turns like when you're down you'll always go back up like it's just the way the wheel the wheel works the way the doubt works and so i think that like like when you don't talk about it Mm -hmm. not only are you like cutting yourself off from potential resources you're also kind of like putting yourself in another space of entrapment Mm -hmm. that like works against our whole concepts of freedom and I think going back to when you were talking about like who's celebrated because I think so often women are encouraged to celebrate their little interests and I feel like Mm -hmm. at least to me from like friends from old roommates from parents like it was always like you got to pick this one thing and you got to be focused on that one thing and so you couldn't so say you know that little girl who wants to be a peace builder she also like found coding at which peaceful was very specific for one so yeah but like she like found coding you know and like but she had told everybody that she wanted or to she found work. sales or she found yeah. and then we and then instead of encouraging that person to go work in retail we encourage that person to do real estate yeah <laughs> do you know like it's just like you don't know like i feel like we're, we so often don't teach people about the intersectionality of their joys absolutely their passions because for me like like I said like doing this podcast is like my little way of pushing back and I feel like it can directly tie into peace building because if I can talk to women that feel inspired or are inspiring or can inspire others with like their positions that play into the peace building maybe not directly peace building but it's like I help deliver things overseas. It's like, okay, well, maybe one day you can, like, work with somebody who needs to deliver, like, sanitary products to women in, like, recovering nations. Like, you don't, you don't know. And I feel like we don't talk about how to celebrate those, those little passions that these girls have and bring them to life and show them no, like. Absolutely. You know. Or I'll take it, like, we'll peel a couple of layers back. For you as a peace builder, providing a space for this podcast, I think what we don't realize is how many women professionally do not have safe spaces to talk about their failures Mm -hmm. or to talk about their struggles or to talk about how they've accomplished so much, but they can, they're living in a space, a place like DC where what they've accomplished is actually really incredible, but because the next person has accomplished one step above, one step above, it seems incredible. It seems crazy. And like we were talking about this, um, when we were emailing, I was talking about imposter syndrome. So there's the imposter syndrome within ourselves. And we're like, do I really deserve this? But then there's also 
the fact that we deal with imposters. Mm -hmm. Um, So many people will truly not be forthcoming Mm -hmm. (laughs) with, with like who they are really. And I think that that's, um, that's heightened in a place like DC. We need spaces where people can be comfortable to talk about kind of like the highs and lows of that process, specifically the lows, because I think mm-hmm. what women aren't afforded, like I said, is the opportunity um, to, to, to fail or work through that. And I think it's also relevant to know, too, most or at least in my world, I mostly deal with transplants. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't really think I've been in too many spaces with people who are actually from, who are like working in DC and like actually from. Yeah, I've been very few. Right. Very, very um, few. Which is a whole separate issue, mm-hmm. right? Like, whatever. But, mm-hmm. but anyway, say that to say that like, there are many people who move here at different stages in their lives. So they're, it's not like they have the luxury of having like their best friends that are close to them or having their family that's close to them or like actually really just having a genuine support system. So like when you exist in a, a place like DC that's LinkedIn, that you are dealing with imposter syndrome, you are dealing with people who are actual imposters, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you're dealing with um, trying to grow authentically towards your professional elevator pitch. Mm-hmm. You do need a tribe of people to support you when the decision is this company is awesome, but it's like growing me completely in a direction mm-hmm. I don't want to go, and I'm like, I need to step out. Mm-hmm. Like, you need a tribe, or on the flip side, it's like, I am miserable at work like Mm -hmm. what is a side hustle I can get that can just buy me six months to like leave get my mental health back together and then like go out job hunting right like those we need to have those conversations and like that's why I think this this podcast is so important like before we pass out sanitary napkins in Africa right like (laughs) like right here let's talk about what you want your side hustle (laughs) no because it's true because I'm thinking about the fact that like I feel like we as women are not allowed to grow authentically, especially in a place like DC. It's so hard to grow as yourself because we've we've lived in a society for so long that has tried to display women as weak. Or, you know, there's certain female jobs or certain male jobs or certain this or certain that. You know, women have had to constantly fight to get space in the room, regardless of whatever field it's in. Because but in the sense of like to grow authentically because I think, and I, I know it's something I definitely forgot when I moved here, is to make sure that I'm growing. Mm. Like, I not just, like, my career, but, like, I'm growing as, like, a person and as as a me and, and forgetting that if me doesn't grow, career doesn't grow, that yeah. I'm going to have. I feel like we don't talk about that because when I invite women in the space, is like, in essence, we've talked about, I feel like, more about who we are and who you are and, and what you are versus what you do. Mm. And that's what I – and I feel that's like great. we forget that that who we are, what we are, and, like, what our spirit is, is what we do. Oh. And we go too quickly to the what we do versus the who we are. Yeah, okay, no. So I get what you're, get what you're saying because whether or not you want to be identified by your professional title, mm-hmm. all of those things – actually do fall under the umbrella of the actions and behaviors that you participate in on a daily basis, which a huge part of that is your your profession, which is kind of crazy. But I think one thing that I really, really had to learn for myself is that when I who I when I consider myself growing, I consider mm-hmm. myself 
you know, am I reading a lot of books? Like, am I learning? Like, you know, from an educational perspective, Mm -hmm. like I am an introvert in that way. And so for a long time, like I was that person who would kind of like duck off the scene Mm -hmm. because like I couldn't be like extroverted and social Mm -hmm. and then like also be considering myself like learning and growing because I felt like those things happen like in more isolated like like spaces. Mm -hmm. But then I realized too that there's so much growth that happens in human interaction. Mm -hmm. And so I've, you know, as I'm like forcing myself, I was going to say too, just about like maximizing the time you do spend with people when you like get through all of that Mm -hmm. because it's so tough is that you do need to be intentional about your tribe. And I was thinking um, like beforehand, I remember when I first moved here, I did have law school. I did and still do, but at the time it felt more immediate about Mm -hmm. law school aspirations. So I was really focused on all of my friends who were like new lawyers Mm -hmm. and just like meeting lawyers and just like really immersing myself in Mm -hmm. that culture. But in reality, it took a minute for me to understand. It's like, Corey, you're not enrolled in law school. (laughs) You're not a lawyer. This is not your tribe, right? Like they can't, there's only so much that I can, that like mutual transaction that can happen in these spaces. And when when you talk about moving to a new place and just kind of like, establishing your support system of people that you can share these highs and lows with mm-hmm. it's not going to be the people who you're meeting like if i'm mm-hmm. if we're meeting and our connection is that i want to be a lawyer and that you're a lawyer that can't that can't be that it. can't that can't transit right like yeah. that very rarely can um transition into a genuine mm-hmm. friendship right so for me i had to learn that you can't be chasing your aspirant like you Mm -hmm. can't be chasing the tribe of people who are doing what you aspire Mm -hmm. to do the people that are where you are right now (laughs) those are that's um, your people those that's your people and that's like where where you should invest in too but i would also say there's there's also a moment too for when you are growing it's kind of like the job situation you can have a really incredible group of friends that you feel really loved and supported and that's awesome but if you get to a space in your career where it requires that you kind of build a new mm-hmm. new kind of tribe. So like I'll, like my friend who was like got the thirty k and then was like free for a, for a year. Mm-hmm. Well, we were not like we were not her tribe initially, right? Yeah. Her tribe is people that are doing that yeah. and that are living that living that lifestyle. So it took a moment like for us to to intertwine. But the the point is that you know, you do grow through human interaction. So you should be, you know, forcing yourself to do that. I know it's hard. Mm -hmm. But then two is that in order to get the most out of that human interaction, be very clear with yourself about what you're trying to accomplish. If you're networking for the purpose of I want to be a lawyer and you're a lawyer, well, understand that y'all are going to have one or two coffees and then we're going to call it a day. We're going to call it a day, right? But if you're someone who's maybe at a different space professionally, you're learning how to code and you're networking with other people who are learning how to code, then okay, you guys will study together. You guys will job hunt together. You guys will build projects together. You guys will talk to investors together and hopefully become billionaires. Like, you know, like, I think it's just understand. No, but it's true because I'm, I'm thinking about the idea of like the people in my tribe. I have like, I feel like I've many different tribes mm-hmm. here, but like not... None are less important than the other, and they, 
I've, I've grown to be very selective about who I let into my life and my friendships over the past couple of years. And they may not all intermix. Like they may, we may not all be the same friend group, but I know like when I go to this community, it's like a tight. And when I go to this, it's tight. And I think we sometimes forget that our energy can be focused other places mm-hmm. and that we can grow which e- with each of those groups because if they truly I think if they truly care and want you to grow they're going to be okay if you if you if they miss, if you're missing for 2 days like you know what I'm saying no, I completely and, agree and with I you. think I think we forget that and we and I think we come here and we like I have to I have to do the you know the person that wants to be a lawyer because I want to be a lawyer so like sorry I can't talk to you anymore like and then you put all your energy into that and then at a point you're going to feel lonely because they're going to be talking about something that you can't connect with because you only try to connect with them on the basis of being a lawyer versus their beliefs or their intentions or what they like to do you know what I mean you only ever got those coffees for that lawyer talk and like and I think that's a lot of people's issues with DC because it's all this like who can get me where I need to go versus like building relationships with people first versus building a knowledge of their career first. Yeah, like I think that's so important because going back to that umbrella of, you know, who am I and like what's my spirit and what mm-hmm. makes me happy and, you know, what do I want my contribution to the world to be is the actions that you take every day, so what you do. Mm-hmm. So not so. I think in DC we say the first question is who, what's your name, what do you do. But in, re- in reality, it's what's your name, what do you do, and where are you trying to go. Yeah. That's the very DC mm-hmm. conversation. And I think that what what the the disconnect is is that we attach kind of like our essence to this where we're trying to go, mm-hmm. as opposed to like who we are who we are now and like connecting, mm-hmm. connecting in the now. And that's why to the trick number one, <laughs> to find your elevator pitch. Like I am going to stand by that. So, so hard because once you know what you're trying to accomplish, then you can like kind of let that DC thing go. And I think mm-hmm. it just, I think it just takes time. And so, you know, we're talking about what we wish, like maybe our younger selves would have said, mm-hmm. I know, I know I'm a little older than you, but like, <laughs> But like, but like, just a little 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 bit. bit. (laughs) But like, I don't know. I just feel like, like when I was, like I would say, so when I was eighteen, I wish that I was like chasing the what I want my contribution to the world to be, not a title or or a salary. And I think that like even in grad in grad school, I wasn't chasing the doors that having a master's would open for me, mm-hmm. right? Or chasing... Because um, I was like, I agree, because I was always looking at the title versus... Yeah, the where what, you want to go. Yeah, what I, who I want to be. That, And I think that's because we're taught to chase titles versus... And we're like, oh, the title is what I want. But it's like, number one, I've learned that titles mean many different things. <laughs> here, and I never understand what to apply right. for. Because some of them want you to have like a high economic background, like something, but it's all like the same thing or something I'm applying. It's like procure, procurement analyst. But sometimes like, it's just looking at like sometimes it's just honestly administrative work of yeah. like data, like data entry. Yeah. And you really have to read. The, and I was like, okay, I can't be chasing after these titles because I don't. So I really have to think about like, and that's something like my mentor and actually GW has taught me a lot of like, okay, what do you want to 
do? Like, what do you want your contribution? It's like, okay, well, like, I really love this and I really love this. And it's like, okay, then we look for that. Don't look at those titles. Yeah. Look, if anything, just look at like the grade level because then you know that's like, okay, <laughs> you can apply because you have that degree level. Right? But like, but look at like really read the description yeah. and kind of see if that's what you are. And I and I feel like we so often more look at title. And I think we're taught to look at title from such a young age versus what or value. You, or we're ta- we're yeah. taught to value. I was um I was at a conference the other day and we were talking about um for women in particular, this was so important because like honestly, if you don't know what you value as a person and as a professional, mm-hmm. that translates into your romantic relationships very mm-hmm. quickly and those can turn those can those can turn bad so we were saying that you have to define define the actions that you're taking right mm-hmm. what is research what does that look like mm-hmm. you know research is not going to get coffee and research is not like being everyone's whipping boy <laughs> right like that's not research and then that shouldn't be like tolerated because you're the intern Mm-hmm. trying to make it right like mm-hmm. you still deserve respect and then it's like well what do you value do you mm-hmm. value the the act of learning because then something like doing research is going to be incredible for you yeah. right but if you that va- or but if you actually value being on the front line when the solution is mm-hmm. like being like implemented being yeah. implemented then maybe researcher isn't your thing mm-hmm. right so you kind of have to think about what what do i value what do these words mean to me in action on a day-to-day basis? And as a woman, firmly, I like encourage everyone to um, do those exercises because when you take that to spaces outside of your professional mm-hmm. your professional life, I think that more things will come up. Oh, so yeah. I think that that's important. So the last question I really want to ask you is um, that we asked everybody, what and how do you define being a woman or womanhood? Mm. So when I think about being a woman and defining woman, I immediately think of like women I admire, mm-hmm. and you know I'm like this hippie at heart, right? Like for real. So I like I admire like Shago from Kim Possible, the vil- the evil the, e- the evil villain. I like admire her. Dude, guys, I'm ready for that live action. <laughs> right. Anyway, continue. like um, Rita Repulsa from um, Power Rangers. I like her a lot, and then like you know some other faves like Michelle Obama and Olivia. Pope and um I like Zazie Beats and I like um Zoe Kravitz and whatever but I think being this being a woman is whatever you think being a woman is to you that's right period Mm -hmm. um I think womanhood is unfortunately right now it feels like an experience of having to overcome Mm -hmm. everything Mm -hmm. um but I think more than anything it's like a physical manifestation of strength Mm, right mm. because yeah we get to be how like we get to be a woman in whatever sense we want that to be and we will have to overcome a lot of everything because that's just what that's just how our society Mm -hmm. has set us up but the women I see who make it right because we have to be honest not every woman survives Mm -hmm. you know all these hardships Mm -hmm. right but for the women that make it those are goddess queens to me Mm -hmm. like that's what I what I aspire to be and to me as like going back to defining words to make it is like for Beyonce to Mm -hmm. overcome kind of what she overcame in her personal relationship Mm -hmm. but to still have the discipline and the work ethic Mm -hmm. to you know put out the products that she's 
she's put out mm-hmm. and to create that level of freedom for herself. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I think the same for Michelle Obama. I think the same for many fictional, um, characters cause I like cartoons. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think, but, but overall, I think that, um, it's, it's what one being a woman and womanhood is a, is a journey of strength. And once you are standing in your power, like mm-hmm. truly just in it, like just mm-hmm. in the thick of your power, you are unstoppable. And I think for myself, like when I say like I'm 26, but I think that I'm just getting started. I think that's me, right? Like I would say like, not only am I like ready in my career, but when you go through those highs and lows of your career and then you like get that strength and you're standing in your power, it's kind of like, yeah, I know there's going to be obstacles, but we're here. Like I'm Shago, right? I got this, right? So that's, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> No, that was such a good answer. Don't giggle at yourself. That was a really good answer. I really like that. I always love hearing everybody's responses. All right, guys. So we will be uh, right back after a very short break. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is your host, Natalia, and I'm here with Corey again. And uh, we are going to do the segment. We haven't actually done this in a while. Um problematic faith and so today Corey brought in the idea to talk about Elon Musk okay yes. go <laughs> so Elon Musk I I don't think he's problematic but like <laughs> you know people think that he's problematic for a couple of reasons, which mm-hmm. are one that you know he's just reached a level of success where he has the opportunity to be a bit more smug than mm-hmm. some would like. Um, but then two, like it is a relevant critique that he has made billions and billions mm-hmm. and billions of dollars, and in a capitalist society, like if you're not using those billions to kind of give back, it can be seen as like hoarding and mm-hmm. um, just like really problematic. And so for me, I mean, I get it, but no. <laughs> like, no, like to me, no one can say anything bad about about Elon because he is an, a scientist, a designer, an inventor, mm-hmm. an innovator, um, an entrepreneur, and and also too, what people don't. My, my mom and my dad are both entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. and like, I think what people don't understand about that is um, I think when we're younger, you're like, oh, you own your own business? Like, that's so cool. You're so rich. No. Like, Mm -mm. the owner of the company, the CEO of the company is probably the least well-off person. Um, Mm -hmm. And so when you have ideas that are just, like, repeatedly shot down and shot down, and when you're out of space, you have no money, and you have to, like, we talked about this earlier about being a jack of all trades it has mm-hmm. it's been seen as wrong. Like mm-hmm. people are telling us specialized, but when you become an entrepreneur, essentially you are taking on all of these roles. And mm-hmm. for people like Elon Musk to take on the role of scientist and engineer and designer and like coder, like those are physicists, like those are some really, really heavy duty titles. And to knock all of that out and to be successful and to mm-hmm. simultaneously run I think he's part of the day-to-day operations of two companies. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, of course, he's got his name on a third. There are not many black women entrepreneurs to look up to. Mm -hmm. There aren't many black entrepreneurs in the tech space to look up to. Mm -hmm. And while I think it's important, you know, while I would, like, hold on to them dearly and, like, cling to them truly, right, like... Someone like an Elon Musk, he absolutely represents to me what it means to believe in your ideas and like yet he's like we can 
argue to death about like self-made and like where he got his money from yeah. and like you know where he's from and whatever whatever but the, what is true is that when he cashed out for paypal he had a hundred million dollars i think mm-hmm. um but don't quote me on the figures but <laughs> um he put all of that money into spacex and tesla mm-hmm. and he was borrowing money to pay his rent when you talk about stepping out on faith and believing in yourself and standing in your power and being strong enough to overcome anything that can be hurled at you, though that is something like when you believe in your professional elevator pitch and what you want to contribute to the world so much, then not only are you stepping out like that, you're also stepping out without people believing in you so you don't even really have a genuine team of people behind you always. Mm-hmm. Like that is some very very inspirational stuff to me and um you know that's my that's my problematic babe I think that like from what I was reading about him because I know him as it's gonna sound bad but, like a little bit of a media whore and I feel like that's where people's complaints come from because I don't know I feel like yes you have all that money so what are you gonna do with it and like the whole the whole um the kids that were trapped in the Thai cave and him trying to make the submarine. And and I think that's what everybody kind of views as like wrong with people like him. It's like, dude, you didn't necessarily have to make a submarine, like a new thing to get these kids out. Like that's not necessarily what it, what it needed. I think that's like, I think the issue like with those kind of critiques, cause Jeff Bezos gets it all the time. And mm-hmm. like Jeff Bezos has business practices that I don't agree with, but I also don't fault him for this particular thing either. Mm-hmm. In capitalism, capitalism is a system that is set up for for when you find your well in the sea of money that is capitalism, it is very, very possible for you to be making billions and billions and billions of dollars. We've seen it. And what you do with your wealth, if you choose to give back or not, that's between you and your higher power, right? But for me, as someone in politics and advocacy, I would prefer to to have the conversation about dismantling capitalism, mm-hmm. not about attacking Elon Musk because he's mm-hmm. got, got this wealth or Jeff Bezos because he's got his wealth. Because this is what people don't do, what I've seen in these conversations, mm-hmm. is that they'll attack, you know, the tech billionaires all day, mm-hmm. but throw Beyonce on the fire for being a billionaire. Because she is. Because she is. Or throw Beyonce just bought... I think a $200 million house that has like over a hundred, over a hundred rooms in it. Well, she's paid for people's colleges, but there's and the, the house is in California, which has high, incredibly high rates of homelessness. Oh yeah. So throw her on the fire for taking up that space and not contributing in that way. Like I, I just don't think that that's the productive conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's like completely never ending. I guess it's, I guess, so, so to like, me, Elon will ever be problematic for me, to me for that. Like, <laughs> I think, like, well, for, for people, I guess for people like him and, like, Jeff Bezos, I think it's more so, like, what are your, I mean, granted, once again, like, I don't know that much about, like, Elon Musk and his, like, business practices, but I feel like for Jeff Bezos, he's, like, done some very questionable, so shady Steve things. Jobs. And, yes, Steve Jobs, I feel like, is the low-key one that no one ever talks about, but is very problematic. But I think it's, like, but... That's my okay. This is exactly my point. Mm-hmm. Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos, and Elon Musk all believed in 
their professional elevator pitch mm-hmm. from the standpoint of what they wanted their contribution to the world to be. Mm-hmm. For Steve Jobs, it's the technology that we're recording this podcast on. <laughs> it's the technology that has revolutionized this entire globe. Mm-hmm. It, it Literally, the, the Apple products brought in an entire new industrial rev- mm-hmm. revolution. Jeff Bezos has revolutionized e-commerce just mm-hmm. in general. I mean, the systems that he's disrupting to this day are just astounding. Um, and then Elon Musk, too, you're revolutionizing space travel and mm-hmm. transportation. Like, one, not only to to have a mind to conceive that kind of mm-hmm. idea is incredible, but two, to have the business acumen and the support to do it. And If you find your well in the sea of money, that's mm-hmm. capitalism, because for them, it was these really grand ideas that really contribute to society mm-hmm. um and they the the person they may have like moral failings as people mm-hmm. um but these ideas that they put forth in society have no doubt made us better it's, it's kind of like listen critique the system but understand that when you kind of let's not like hinder the next elon musk yeah, no, one hundred percent. I think like I agree. Not, like, as, and then like for like for when you like think about women, like um, like women are silenced. Mm-hmm. Like Jeff, like most of these men that have gotten like the ability to act as crazy as they do, that's patriarchy. Oh, 100%. That's my point. My point is that these people are problematic because of the systems that have allowed mm-hmm. them to thrive in this way, right? Because if a woman, like, okay. If a woman entrepreneur had gotten to that space, there's no way that she she would be so cautious of what she wore. She'd be so cautious of what she says. Like, she would live so quietly because she would come under, like, she mm-hmm. would be doxxed. And, like, she would just become mm-hmm. come under the type of scrutiny that would not allow her to thrive. Yeah. So, like, it's not for me, you know, like I said, I'm I'm gunning for Elon Musk here. Like, Jeff Bezos, like, he doesn't make this thing. Yeah, he's special. <laughs> yeah, he's special, you know. Yeah. But, like, but I, I would just say that, to me, Elon Musk, he's problematic, but he's, like, like Steve Jobs is, like, he was kind of, he had, I don't want to go as far as say, like, diabolical, but, like, he had some, he, he just had, he was, like, a different level. Yeah. He was a different level. Jeff Bezos is a whole different level, but, like, Elon Musk is someone who is thriving in systems that have allowed someone like him to thrive, and I, I don't think, think that the bad outweighs the good here. I think for him, it's more so, I guess, his, from from what I can gather, it's more so, like, his cockiness and his smugness. Like, kind of like that guy in high school that was good at sports and good in school. And, like, yeah, he was. And, like, we're not going to fault him for, like, winning the football game or whatever it was. But, like, at a certain point, you kind of got annoyed with him talking about that touchdown that he did last night. I mean, maybe. But, like, as a, like, women, we're told to silence our, like, women are not allowed to celebrate. Oh, yeah. But men, and men are allowed to celebrate. So, it's kind of like, are we going to praise, or, like, we're going to get mad at this guy for celebrating? No. Like, get mad at a system that, like, allows him to, like, not shut up. Right? Yeah. Like, because he's gotten to that point into which we get tired of him. Right. Does that make sense? Like, we might as well get to that point. And in fairness, Elon Musk is, like, 47. Yeah. That's still really young. Oh, yeah. Like, to be... To have done what he's done. To have done what he's done, but it's also about what more he can accomplish. Mm -hmm. These systems don't allow a black woman to thrive in that way. There were not systems that would have robbed him of his greatness mm-hmm. had he spoken out, right? Mm-hmm. Or, like, had he... Had he done one thing. Had she he, can't fail. She can't fail. Yeah. Right. She can't fail. 
um, Beyonce couldn't, you know, like they had to make choices because we don't get to fail as gracefully Mm -hmm. as our white male counterparts. So again, like if I'm going to attack anything, let's attack, attack these systems. And then it becomes too, like we were talking about this before as black people, something that we learn is twice as good to get half as much. Mm -hmm. I would argue, I would argue that it's honestly four five, six, seven times as good to get half as much because listen like Serena's still out here trying to prove herself she's like I had a baby I almost died honestly I'm just trying to take a nap I still have to prove that's so important because Serena made this comment too she was saying that the system within tennis doesn't allow someone who wants to take maternity leave to come back to their ranking so Serena had worked hard and was ranked Mm -hmm. number one she takes maternity leave and she has to start over from scratch whereas someone who's been drug tested and failed they then have to start over from scratch. So Serena is now competing with the the drug offenders, right? And she's, like, and, she's and she's Serena. Like that is a system that like doesn't not only doesn't allow you to fail, but like doesn't even recognize like your own humanity. Like Serena is a woman. She's married. She wanted to have a kid. Like let the girl have a baby. Let yeah. Like why why should her career suffer because of that? Which is which is insane. And like so I agree. I think it's more so we've created a system in which. Men are allowed to fail, but also succeed to such like, a, and fail up and fail up quite literally and fail up and and be such of a high caliber and praise themselves, which is a problem. And I think I think I would take less issue with with what you did when you got up there because I and I think that's where people are coming from with him. I feel like the Jeff Bezos and Steve Jobs, like they're coming from like. How do you treat your workers, though? Like, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, a different. Yeah, yeah. That's a different. Him, yeah. But for him, it's like you uh, run your mouth too much. Yeah, it's like, and because I feel like even as, even as like me and like my my mom would be like, don't run your mouth too much, like kind of thing. And it's we're we're told to be like these silent, quiet warriors. Absolutely. So you, you blink and like, oh shoot, she she was on the come up. We did. It's like exactly. You didn't need to know my business. Yes. And I and I think so. I think people's problems with him come from more like what are you doing now that you're up there? Like, yes, you're trying to help, but, like, how are you trying to help? Like, how are you going about that versus just but being, like, like... what does he... Like, what? Soci- like, yeah. if that man pays his taxes, then, like, he has done his... Like, his due diligence. His due diligence, right? And I think, like, I think we've also created a society in which, with, in which now we can't trust men at that level without anything looking like a publicity snap. And I think even if he came out, say, think, for example, because, like, American Eagle did that thing where, like, they brought uh, on their website, they released um, models who had special needs, mm. but they didn't advertise and they didn't say anything. It was just, like, one day it popped up, and, and that was it. Like, that's yeah. – and I think I think that's what more people want, like – don't go out of your way to say, and I, I think because we've come to a place in society where it's like anything you do is a publicity stunt, so you can't say anything if you're going to do it. So if he had just like sent the submarine or sent or whatever, I think the narrative would have been changed to like he tried to help, he sent this, like we're grateful for the help that you tried to provide and and like not said anything about what he did, but truly out of the goodness of his heart. And it's And it's hard to find that balance of like, I want to show that, like, I care about this and I care about this community because I know he just donated money to Flint, Michigan and all of that. And it's like, 
without sounding showy. And I think, but like, understand that when you force people, like, you're what's happening with Elon Musk right now is like people are specifically like guilting him into like throwing his money at causes. Mm-hmm. And the same people who are guilting him into throwing his money at causes are also gonna fault him for throwing his, his money, money at causes. causes. And like, I think what bothers me in particular is that as people who work in advocacy and politics, we have to protect our energy. Truly, mm-hmm. because there's something to get mad about every single second, mm-hmm. especially in this administration. So I just I'm tired. I've been tired. Like, <laughs> are you getting tired since 1994? Like, right? Like, I've been so tired. Like, <laughs> but like, I think that's the issue. Like, the issue is just that, like, yo, like, if you like, I'm just gonna keep saying it. It's like, if you find your well in the sea that is capitalism, mm-hmm. if you find your niche that is a vehicle to manifesting your dreams or just manifesting a better quality of life then i mean you no, should be I mean, allowed to enjoy that or you should be allowed or also too like you, like talking about as women of color most marginalized communities do not have any form of generational wealth mm-hmm. and we are not in the process of setting up any form of generational wealth so it's kind of like this too like what if i just like what if me in my personal generation in my time on earth i just worked as really hard as i could and if i was to garner 150 billion dollars i think jeff bezos is worth what if i just kept that so that the lancaster family could actually just have a chance so when it comes to lean times again <laughs> like or not even that it's just that like so that no one else in my family has like literally the kylie jenner thing when that came out about her being self-made oh that didn't bother me because what happened was she was born into a family mm-hmm. that allowed her to set herself up to win and her her future posterity to win and it sucks because, like, they have all these issues with them as family, whatever, whatever. But in reality, they were a family that had some finan- – they had the financial means. They catapulted a sex tape into a multi-billion dollar empire. <laughs> and then now you have Kylie who's born into that. Mm-hmm. And she's someone who, like, openly talked about her struggles with being born into that famous mm-hmm. family who found her her well, which was mm-hmm. the makeup and the see that is capitalism, and her whole family lifted her up. And I think that, like, as women of color, specifically, like, we don't always get that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So what if one generation was just selfish? Like, if one generation just selfishly said, I found my well and it's coding, and I'm going to just code my butt off for, like, my entire 50-year mm-hmm. until I'm 80, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to just code my ass off and I'm just make a ton of money and then I kept all of it and then the Lancaster family was just set and like my kids would know what it would be like to be born millionaires right mm-hmm. and like my grandkids would know what it would be like to never worry about what their education would be paid for never worry about what school they're going to go to they could only focus like you would hope that with people that have that kind of stability and that kind of security mm-hmm. they could focus on their ideas right mm-hmm. like that I think that is like awesome to me because Elon Musk and himself, like he's teaching his kids. He's he has it, he built a whole entire school for his kids, curriculum and all. So it's like, dude, not only are you advancing the world, you're like contributing to a new generation of of students who will be learning to problems and not learning to tools. And when we talk about like t- you know, taking so long to figure out what your professional elevator mm-hmm. picture is and what your career ladder is and just figure it out it's like dude like what like we're talking about how it's stressful for us to be like oh my god the transportation is so expensive to get to happy hour <laughs> like that's what we're talking about right now right mm-hmm. but if, if but for elon musk kids he's gonna be like they're gonna be like 
yeah, but the rockets to Mars are not doing, you know, like, that's what they're going to be talking about. And selfishly, like, I'm a black woman. I want my, I want my kids to talk about that. I don't want my kids to talk about how expensive D.C. is to live. I want them to be able to be dropped in a place like D.C. and taken over because they aren't worried about. But I think it's about training your kids to do that. Or like training, creating a culture in which we can lift others up, but also provide that wealth for our personal future generations. And like, I mean, that's cute, but like, I mean, it's not that, but I think it's because I think people are just tired of the fact that we constantly have had these white men in power who have constantly used it to only put themselves more in power. And like, we've created such a wealth gap. And I'm not saying like, you can't get yours. I'm just saying like, I feel like. Like white allies are cool too. No, like, but like in the, in the sense of like, get yours. But like, while you're getting yours, employ some people, employ like, employ the the black girl who's in your class who is interested in coding and yeah she's not gonna make as many millions as you but let her make a solid a hundred thousand a year you know what I'm saying so her family because even if it's not gonna set her family up 600 years from now it's gonna set up her family to you know invest that money let it grow make sure her kids can get an education so they can make 150,000 yeah and so it'll build and I feel like that's the issue because I like there is nothing wrong with networking. There's nothing wrong with like trying to get to know people so you can do this. But what happens is I find this extreme gap in which I can't break in because I grew up in a very normal black household in Connecticut. Like, granted, I know that sounds a lot fancier than it really is. But like, I don't have those connections that I find. And I wasn't taught from a young age. I wasn't, you know, hobnobbing with people from a young age to learn how to do that effectively and properly that will get me where I need to go. But that doesn't mean I'm any less educated, I'm any less qualified, I'm right. any less like my, you know, my speech or whatever. Like I can I can do that job, but because I don't know Steve Jobs or like whatever, or like my family didn't hobnob in those circles, it automatically puts me at a disadvantage. So it's I physically can't struggle to, you know, to get there. So like I'm trying like you're trying to break in and I think that's where I guess that's where people are taking issue because I agree like complaining about him is not gonna solve anything we should complain about I mean we should complain about the system that allows Jeff Bezos to have the working conditions that he has because that is the system that we live in that's allowed those conditions you know what I'm saying and I agree with that but it's also like we also have to make sure that we are like hold them accountable to be better to be better and when we and so when we get better we also bring other people up with us. We get our 150 billion, but don't you worry because I'm bringing another 600 people with like, me. Like, I agree with you. And like the thing I, that I struggle with is that in a perfect world, to me, dismantling a system of capitalism is being on someone like an Elon Musk so heavy to be like, no, empl- are you employing black people? Are you employing black women? Like mm-hmm. to really hold them, hold them to that standard. But I, I get nervous about attacking the system in that way because then it's like, so yeah, let's say he hires women of color. Mm-hmm. Okay, but if are you gonna hire the HR department that can look out for them and like mm-hmm. cater to their specific their specific needs? Does your company have maternity leave? No, it doesn't because you like predominantly hire. It's like what do you value? Do you value the hundred k in your pocket, 
or do you value working conditions that allow you to contribute to your like your um, personal elevator pitch because if your personal elevator pitch is I want to like do charity work mm-hmm. the, and the 100k that you make at Tesla is a means to that ends you don't need to do that at Tesla mm-hmm. and that doesn't make you Elon Musk's responsibility no not at all I think we I think it's just like the system I guess I guess we as a society don't know how to do all of that at once yet and right. so we attack people like him for doing things how they do it because I know he agrees with like a universal pay um, kind of thing and that coming from someone who's made you know he understands that like people still need to get paid because they have these basic things and it is true like not everybody's gonna make it to the top that's that's true but that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be able to eat or like live somewhere no I you know? like, like I don't I, I like hear what you're saying like a hundred percent but I also just for us as people to be like forcing Elon Musk like we know we the Steve like you know, know the, those were those were separate and Steve Jobs is like you know he's like gone he's passed away but like you know those were separate conditions to not I would say to be I would prefer take his call to action and run with it mm-hmm. as opposed to like trying to beat an Elon Musk over the head with something and, like, forcing him to care. Okay, so we are saying the same, because that's what I'm... Yeah, that's, that's exactly what yeah. yeah, No, we're, that's what I'm saying, because I don't... Because I also get very annoyed with people who seem to have their hands in many different causes, but don't seem to really be committing to... Because, like, obviously we all care about all the bad things that are happening, like, in right. the world, but it just chooses, like, where you choose to focus your energy, because you can't... You can't divide yourself 60 different ways. Absolutely. So it's great that there is, like, this person who is championing, 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 words are championing (laughs) in that, in that way. And, like, I applaud that. And I think that's awesome. And I think that we, I think we as a society, once again, have not figured out how to do that yet because we just expect everybody to kind of do everything. But you can't. You can't do everything. And so there's so many things that sometimes, like, I'll see on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. And I'm like, oh, this is so sad. But I know, to me, that's, that's not my that's not my sphere. Yeah. And so, and I and I know that for me. And it's like, yes, I want to, I'll support it behind the scenes. Like, my friends who are, like, super into it. Super, like, I'm, I'm supporting you because I love you and I support this cause. But, like, don't don't catch me at their next rally. That's not. Yeah. Because do you know, get what I'm saying? No, absolutely. Like, we as a society have become cause like cause whores like yeah. just any cause right every single person not that we shouldn't be marching not that we shouldn't be you know signing petitions but it's like everybody is spread so thin and so and then everyone's spread thin who's like actually actively working and then there's like the other group who like to click on everything and like everything and be like because that's how they support but they're not physically doing everything so it looks like there's only a small group of people actually doing things and so we get mad when we see these big people up here who have all this money and they're not doing anything it's like we all we have to spread it because we still are only one person and throwing money at an issue isn't necessarily going to fix it which if you work in the development space or stabilization you know that like you yeah. can't just throw money and it's gonna magically fix and so I agree with you in that sense I just think there's at the same time there maybe isn't enough people who are at that level of wealth to understand that to champion 
maybe one thing, not that they're, because it's not even like they're throwing their stuff everywhere. And it's more so like, they'll hear about this one thing, or like someone will bring this one thing to their attention, and then they throw a couple hundred at, or a couple million or whatever, but then that's it. That's the end of their involvement versus being continually involved, just like Serena's husband is. Like, and I think we don't have enough of that, that continual involvement or the understanding of our society yet that like that's where we have to get to yeah no I I agree with you and then I would just say too is that a lot of I'd like Elon Musk specifically I am 100% sure that he's involved in some type of nonprofit cause like oh yeah he has a bunch of land things listed like yeah so it's kind of like I think we also live in this ADD society where someone could be like, because you're not throwing your money at the cause I care about, you're not Mm -hmm. doing anything. And Mm -hmm. that's never true, Mm -hmm. period. Like, that's not even how, like, you get tax breaks for giving your money. Yeah, so so like, rich people. Right, so it's like rich people actually have like more, like, in like a tax incentive to get involved. So anyway, no, I agree agree with what you're saying. And I would just say too that like, I would caution people to, if you are going to go as far as to criticize someone like that, you need to do your own personal due. Still just mm-hmm. before you, like, run your mouth. And then I would say, too, like, you can't fault anyone else for being clear in their boundaries and their value mm-hmm. system. And if it doesn't align with yours and it's not harming you specifically, right, or it's not, like, harming anyone else, then the best way to help the poor is to not be poor, right? Mm-hmm. So if, you, if you're so bothered by it, then you need to get your own self to a place where you can contribute mm-hmm. in the way that you are you calling upon to, them yeah. to. So that's that's all I got to say about that. No, that's fine. No, this was a so good. We literally <laughs> talked so much. No, but it was so good. Okay, so is there anything you want to plug? You can follow me on Instagram at Corey of 82 tabs and on Twitter at Corey of 82 tabs. Because that's her small media conglomerate. She's good. She's just being <laughs> real casual about it right now. Um, but yes, thank you so much, Corey. This was awesome. Like, such a, It's going to be the longest episode ever, but it's going to be great. But it's going to be great. I'm so excited. Um, and thank you, all of you, for listening. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at PrettyFaceLady3. Like us on Facebook at More Than a Pretty Face. Email us, reach out. You can find everything on our Facebook page, our Instagram, our Twitter. Um, Yeah, and this has been so much fun, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.